Welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bull podcast brought to you by Five Reasons Sports. First off, let's start and say Happy New Year. This is the first time we are coming to you in 2020. We hope the holiday season was fruitful and joyful for all of you guys out there listening. Thanks for welcoming us back to us in the uh, in the new year. As always, I am Eric Henry, FIU beat writer for SB Nation. Got Jake Um from Palm Beach Post and, of course, our uh, FIU Superfan David Hondell on the line. Fellas, how's it going? Happy New Year, Eric. And yeah, Happy New Year, man. It's it's been good. It's been a while because I, I missed the last episode, so it's good to be back. Most definitely. So we are missing Shane. Uh, we are going to try just going to give you a quick itinerary. What we're going to try to do during the off season. We're going to try to hit you as often as possible with all four of us. You know, there are going to be some episodes that we have things that are timely. You know, things like schedule release and you know national signing day, things of that nature. That we'll try to get to you where time is of the essence. But also, bear with us. We also have just a lot of cool ideas that we're going to try to bounce around. And if you guys have any ideas as well, please feel free to DM us. You know, at ShulaBullPod on Twitter, and of course, you can find all of us and our Twitter links, um, our Twitter handles within the ShulaBullPod account. So please feel free to shoot some ideas because it is a long off season. So we'll be coming through with, you know, just various topics that are FAU and FIU related and maybe a couple G5 things as well. But the purpose of this podcast is there has been some news since the last time we came to you. The schedule has been released for the 2020 season for FAU, our reigning defending CUSA champs. You know, it looks like they have a uh, I guess you could say they have a, a pretty solid road back, even though they will be welcoming a new coach and Willie Taggart. And for the Panthers, uh, it's going to be tough sledding. We all know that there will be some losses in the offseason, a couple unexpected losses as well in, in Jose Borregales and Devontae Taylor. We'll get to them a little later on in the podcast, but we just want to start off, and I'll go ahead and start, Jake, uh, take it away with the FAU schedule. Jess, you know, give us a rundown. I'm sure those of you listening already know what the schedule is, but just want to give your quick thoughts. If you didn't see Jake's five takeaway article in Palm Beach Post, first off, you should have read it, but if you didn't, <laughs> Jake will hit you with his thoughts right here. So uh, take it away, my man. Yeah, so we're back to only one bye week this year after everybody had two last year because of when Thanksgiving was. So FAU is back to kind of the traditional format they've had really since 2016, which is they'll play all four non-conference games, get them out of the way in September, and then they'll play all eight conference games in a row, obviously with the bye. The bye, again, traditional, it's mid-October. So you have your first six games, four non-conference, two conference they start off against Charlotte, and then they'll travel to Southern Miss. Uh, they'll have the bye week. And then the post-bye six games for FAU is interesting. At Marshall, which I think might be the toughest game on that schedule, even with Minnesota in there. Then you have some winnable games. UTSA at home, Western at home, at FIU. And we're going to be talking about for months how FIU might be in for a challenge in 2020. Old Dominion who is another team that is rebuilding and at middle Tennessee, which I think will be a tough game, but I think FAU can win that. So Marshall, I think getting them after the bye is good and bad. FAU got them after the bye two years ago. And that was probably the worst they, I mean, that was the worst that they looked in conference USA play, but I think it helps getting a team like UTSA after the bye with a new head coach that's a rebuilding program. Same thing with Old Dominion. FIU in Miami, November 14th. Now, that could be tough for FIU. But overall, it's way too early. I think that this is a fine schedule. I think we're going to hear the same complaints that we always do about, you know, it's not a great home slate aside from the USF game. Weather is always 
up in the air. I mean, I remember saying last year in like August, hey, who knows? It could be 30 degrees in Virginia at Old Dominion in late October, and it was like 65 and beautiful. So it's way too early, but I I have no major issues with the schedule. Before I go, David, just do you have any quick thoughts on FAU schedule? No, I, I think Jake kind of nailed it, except for the fact that um, FIU is going to dominate FAU at home. So, are you actually <laughs> are you going to be there this year? Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> Unless I have a wedding again, I, I should be there. <laughs> yeah, if the proverbial if the proverbial leash and restraints have been lifted off of Mister Hondo, uh, he will uh, he'll be at the Shula Bowl. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. He didn't make the bowl game as well. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> so, as we go into, I'll take you you know my quick thoughts on FAU schedule. Uh, I, I Jake, I don't know how you feel about this. I think there are two games that can really set the tone for the season. One is at Minnesota, and we know the job that P.J. Fleck is doing with that program with the Golden Gophers, and they're coming off a huge victory uh, in their bowl game. But I think that, listen, I, this is just my opinion, and maybe I'm biased as a CUSA guy. I think FAU is going to go there and, and give them a challenge. And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that they have to win, but I think – and, you know, this year kind of it looks and you say, hey, it doesn't matter if you get blown out the first few weeks because you can still come back and respond and see USA play. And that's true. But I definitely think, especially with this being a new coaching staff, you want to set the tone for the year. If they at least go to Minneapolis and play the Gophers tough, I think that sets the schedule that sets the the, the um the the kind of just sets up the schedule really well going forward because Stony Brook you think is a win Georgia Southern is a very solid Sun Belt team you know they're not a pushover um, so that game by any stretch of the imagination is not a guaranteed W and then you got USF who you know I, yeah they're kind of in a rebuild mode but I really like the staff that they've put together and you know that that's going to be a game that uh, Mr. Glenn Spencer and Mr. Charles I, I I don't know if you saw this Jake uh, is he still Charlie Weiss I saw on his USF profile that he's Charles Weiss Jr. Is he actually? Yeah, I, I, I will have wow. to send you the picture of that. He was Charles Weiss Jr. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a a Mitch slash Mitchell Trubisky thing going on there, but uh, oh, my, oh, maybe because he changed his Twitter too to uh, Charles Weiss Jr. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, I don't know if that, that's what it is, but we have uh, Mr. Glenn Spencer, Mr. Charles Weiss Jr. We'll have that one circled uh, to play against the Owl. So I think that those four games, so not really the Stony Brook game, but those three games really set the kind of set the tempo for um, how that schedule may play out heading into Conference USA play. I think there's three games I'm really interested in from afar. And from afar, I mean almost eight months away, less than eight months away. Season will be here before we know it. Minnesota, obviously. Georgia Southern, very good Sun Belt team, triple option. Are they triple option? They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yes. They're, they're, yeah. Yes. I was going to say that, you know, these teams are the option teams, but what if it's like a double option? Triple option. FAU struggled against those teams in the past. Kind of. I mean, they did well against Navy two, or uh, Air Force two years ago. And then end of the year, I want to see what Middle Tennessee does this year because I think Asher O'Hara will be really good next year. I know they're losing Ty Lee and Khalil Brooks, but that's a team. I think they could be a competitive kind of like Charlotte this year where they are kind of annoying, even if it takes them a little while to get things going and then they sneak into, you know, a six or seven win season. But with the Minnesota game, We've been talking about it, and I'll just keep saying it. Willie Tagger inherits such a talented FAU team that I think 
going into Minnesota and not putting up a serious fight would be very disappointing. And I was trying to think, I mean, when's the last time FAU faced a Power 5 team with a really accomplished, experienced quarterback at the helm? I guess it would be Quez Johnson against Miami at home, but Quez got hurt in that game. So, I mean, you might have to go all the way back to Rusty Smith against Nebraska in 2009. So it's been a while. And that 2009 FAU team was talented, but this 2020 FAU team on paper should be far more talented, even after all the guys they're losing. So I said this even before we knew the exact specific dates of the schedule. I think anything less than eight wins in 2020, so long as everything goes to plan, because look, Chris Robinson is banged up for a little bit. Uh, your receivers are banged up for a little bit. Your star linebacker, Kiki Leroy, something happens to him, hypothetically speaking. It throws into air into everything. But if everything goes as planned, there's no reason that you shouldn't be an eight-win or nine-win team in 2020. That's a great point you make about Middle Tennessee. I Anyone who listens to this podcast or the Conference USA podcast knows how big of a fan I am of Asher O'Hara. You mentioned the fact that they lost Tylee and Khalil Brooks, but they also are going to get Reed Blankenship, who it, you know is probably the best safety in Conference USA. They're going to get him back next year after missing most of last season. So I think that's going to be a huge thing. And you know with this conference, there's always going to be one team who at the onset of the season, they're expected to play well and they fall. And there's going to be one team who you weren't really expecting anything from that's going to rise. That's just the nature of this league. And something I want to ask both David and you this question, and it's something that I'll ask Shane as well when we get him on the podcast in the near future. Really quick, you talked about FAU having maybe eight or nine wins. I just want to ask this to everybody here. If you look at Conference USA, I mean, we're way too early. We're eight, nine months out from the year, but I just want to ask this question. Mm-hmm. If, I, if, if we're betting, and, you know, David tends to be a, a gambling man from time to time. <laughs> if you had to bet FAU or the field, what are you taking? To win the conference or to win the East Division? To win the conference. Mm-hmm. David, I'll, I, so David, David, I tweet gambling responsibly in paradise. I need you to be my guy here. Listen, I mean, I would say it's probably more favorable. I'd probably lean toward FAU. But then again, Conference USA is a crapshoot. Like like last year, I mean, some people had FAU winning it, but no one probably predicted how good they would be. Uh, I'm curious, and under the first year, the first year coach, let's see how they can respond and bounce back. Like not bounce back because they had a great year. Right. I, I would say they're probably they're going to go in favorites, and they should be. They should be favorite to win. I well, two years ago I said FAU was going to go ten and two, which was stupid because they played Oklahoma, UCF, and Marshall. And in my head, I was thinking all three of those games could be losses, but I was stubborn and I said, "Yeah, FAU." I bought into the Wrath Poison. I don't know if I'm going to fully buy into the Wrath Poison this year. But, and I said this in our group chat, I just don't know what other teams in Conference USA have the talent level, not only returning, but coming in that can contribute immediately to win the conference. Like FIU has J.J. Holloman coming in, and they have Flex Joseph, who David and I both agree has the potential to be really good, but you're losing James Morgan. Middle Tennessee, like I said, Asher O'Hara – great quarterback, very explosive in this conference, 
you lose Ty Lee on offense and Khalil Brooks on defense. So every team has their stars, but they're losing so much. And that's every team across the country, but it's even stronger in Conference USA. Southern Miss gets Jack Abraham for another year, but he wasn't himself down the stretch, and he's going to be without Quez Watkins. Charlotte loses a ton of seniors. So FAU, if they're the most talented team in the conference based on what they did in 2019, even though they're losing guys like Harrison Bryant and Rashad Smith, they still have so much talent in 2020 that I don't know, even if they lose one game to Marshall or middle, who in the conference is going to be able to throw up their Dukes against FAU in the championship game? I thought UAB would give them more fight. UAB looked like they didn't even believe belong in the same conference. We saw it with North Texas two years ago, North Texas, was competitive in that second game, but FAU just pulled away. So who in the West and who in the East is even close to FAU's talent coming back, especially the established talent? Yeah. No. Oh, go ahead. Go for it. No, no, no. I, I, I'll make it quick. Um, I, I just wrote a piece, you know, way too early to look at Conference USA, which I hope you read on Underdog Dynasty. But here's my thing as far as FAU goes. The reason I have them, to answer my own question, I would take FAU as opposed to the field, is the fact that you look at the top teams. UAB, we still don't know between Dylan Hopkins and Tyler Johnson what they have at quarterback. Spencer Brown had a rough year. We're going to see if he's going to be able to bounce back to his form. And they're going to lose seniors like Garrett Moreno and guys like that. You look at Western Kentucky, they lose Ty Story. Can Davis Shanley or Stephen Duncan step in and be that guy at quarterback? You know, you look at... um, and now I'm, I'm having a brain fart now off the top of my head, but that's Western. You know, you look at some of the top teams, Southern Miss, like you said, Jack Abraham's back, but they lose Quez Watkins. So the teams that you would think, Louisiana Tech, they lose Jamar Smith and Amik Robertson. So the teams right. that would challenge, they're losing a lot of talent. And I'm just always going to be preferential to teams that have quarterbacks. So, uh, David, I'll let you jump in there really quick. No, I'm, I'm glad you made the, the quarterback point because for FIU and – it's obviously, once again, this is really too early predictions, but we don't know going into next season who our quarterback is, right? So it's, it's hard to judge this team right now. So, but I'm with you. Like if you, if your team has a set quarterback and FAU's got Chris Robinson and they should be the favorites because they, you know, he, he, he was amazing last year. So I, I agree with everything you're saying, and it's obviously very, very early. But, um, but yeah, that's that would be my two cents. So, really quick, as we're going to transition to FIU here, uh, I just want to take this this portion of the podcast to say really quick. You know, there's been a lot of social media chatter about FIU schedule and things of that nature. One thing I want to make really quick to note because I'm not sure. How many fans and David, you can, you know, vouch for this or not. I think there was some confusion among FIU fans as to who makes the schedule. So FIU, of course, schedules opponents, right? So Liberty was scheduled by FIU. You come to an agreement. Same thing with UCF. But the actual schedule in terms of placement and timing and things of that nature, it's done by Conference USA. So I just want to put that out there before we go right into FIU schedule. Um, so as we go and talk about it, the first thing that you're going to notice is there's five home games and that's going to be a huge departure from the last two years having seven. And I know that FIU fans really kind of took a liking to having, whether it's the Marlins park game or just having, you know, the occasion to come to Ricardo Silva, you know, more often than not. And then of course, when you play FAU, you know, that even if it's a road game, you know, it's an hour up the road in Boca. So that's not a huge deal. 
But with this year, uh, the Panthers, whether you're a fan or if you're a player, you're going to have to be road warriors. You know, that's just the, the major takeaway there because of the fact that you will be on the road seven times. The next thing is, and once again, I'm going to let David jump in here and kind of you know, address these things as well. It's the timing of these games. So you do have games scheduled on Halloween and you have a game scheduled over the Thanksgiving break. And I know some fans on social media had some issues with that just because you're not necessarily giving yourself. And once again, this conference USA who set this, it doesn't set, it doesn't set up FIU um, who already, you know, just to be honest, has some attendance issues already. It doesn't set them up to have the best crowds as is. And then the last thing I think for me as someone who covers this team, what I notice is, I mean, down the stretch, I mean, you look at the schedule, you got Jacksonville state to open at UCF. Then you go to Virginia two straight weeks at Old Dominion at Liberty. I think best case scenario there, three and one. You, you, you think you're going to lose the UCF game. You would think you can beat Jacksonville State, think you can beat Old Dominion. Liberty, that's a bowl team. So believe me, when I say best case scenario, that's really optimistic best case scenario, three and one, because Hugh Freeze is doing a great job up there in Lynchburg, Virginia with that program. Then you have the bye and you go into you know, your, uh, your second third of the season, which is going to be Middle Tennessee at Charlotte at UMass versus Marshall. Once again, best case scenario there, I think you can go three and one. I, I know it's hard to tell FIU fans, even, you know, anyone else who might listen to this podcast, oh yeah, you should beat Middle Tennessee State. You didn't do that last year. As a matter of fact, it was probably the most horrendous performance. But we'd like to think that that's a blip on the trend and not necessarily the norm. Middle Tennessee, you know, they're not great. They are losing people, as Jake mentioned. But they still have Astro O'Hara and Reed Blankenship. So I think that's a 50-50 game, depending on how FIU's quarterback situation plays out. At Charlotte, we talk about the losses they're having. Benny LeMay, who's been a Panther killer over his entire career, will be in the NFL. But that's a road game at Charlotte. We'll see. At UMass, let's not even entertain the idea that FIU could lose that game. Because if FIU's losing to UMass, uh, we've got a whole other set of issues. <laughs> versus, versus Marshall, okay, you, you think – you haven't beaten Marshall in the past two years, and you know they're returning Isaiah Green, so that could be a loss. Then you look at the last four. UTEP, you'd like to think you can beat UTEP. I, I really hope right. you can beat UTEP. Uh, but then FAU, Western, and Louisiana Tech to close the year, that's a murder as well. I mean, there's a chance, you know, once again, best case scenario, in my opinion, is one and three. So, with that being said, David, I'm going to let you take it away. I guess your thoughts from the fans' perspective uh, in terms of what you see on the schedule and, and uh, just your overall thoughts. Yeah, a, a lot of the fans are are pretty upset about the scheduling. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm. I feel like I feel like FAU, FIU fans have been a bit spoiled the past four years with scheduling because literally we've had seven home games in the past four years. Like each year we've had seven, and now we've got five. But I'm looking at the home games that we've got, and we've got FAU, Marshall, La Tech, which are really good teams, and the Middle Tennessee. Uh, you know, obviously a terrible game last year, but they're, they're always, it's always a tough game. And then obviously we, we kick off the season. So I actually don't have a problem with the five home games. Obviously, I want six. Everyone wants more home games that you can go to. The, the, the biggest issue, not issue, but the, the two games that, that you mentioned, the Halloween game after Thanksgiving game. I mean, the Halloween game is almost, it's, you can't really avoid it because Halloween lands on Saturday this year. So I'm sure all schools are going to be dealing with that. But the, the after Thanksgiving game, game has been a noon game the past two years, and it's been the least attended game, game the past two years. So I hate that we have to do that one again. 
But when it comes to the five the five home games, I honestly I really don't have a problem with it because the home games are good, and we've kind of been spoiled. We've had more home games than away games the past four years, so I don't have a problem with it. But I understand why some do because obviously you want more home games. Everyone wants more home games. But um, David, I, I go for it really quick. Really quick, and I'm gonna let Jake jump in here. But I don't know if you saw this stat that I tweeted out and wrote in the article. Over the past three years, since Butch Davis has, t- has, has been the head coach at FIU, 25 out of the 36 scheduled games have taken place in South Florida. <laughs> that's, that's insane. They've only had 11 games that have been scheduled where they've in the past three seasons where they've had to leave South Florida. So you talk about, just to piggyback on your point as far as being spoiled, I mean, that's insane. That's, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it was bound to happen that we'd have a season with five home games, you know. And even then, one of our away games is in Orlando, so it's that's. Right. I was, I was going to say, you're still playing six games in the state of Florida. Yeah, exactly. And and I know the UCF games going to be traveled well too. Um, the the bounce house is a fun place to go, and so I I, I don't have a problem with the schedule. Now, let's just see if uh, it is a bit of a gauntlet, like you were saying. It's it, let's see how how the team ends up. The team that we see week one. Let's see how they can handle it. I think my biggest thing when I look at FIU schedule, it's two things. It's number one, it's that murderer's row in the final three weeks. FAU at Western, which Western Kentucky, Bowling Green in mid-November, late November, is cold, especially compared to Miami, and La Tech at home. But I was really surprised that Conference USA, they can't control the out-of-schedule dates or sorry, the out-of-conference dates. So they already know going in, okay, Jacksonville State comes to FIU on September 5th and FIU goes to UCF a week later. But to pencil in Old Dominion on the road that week, and I don't have Old Dominion schedule in front of me, I'll pull it up in a second, but at some point you would think that the conference and all the parties involved in making the schedule would say, okay, you know, we're going to have a, over a month between home games. That seems a little unfair, even if FIU is going to UCF, which, okay, I mean, it's, what, a four-hour drive from where FIU's campus is, four and a half? Probably a little less than that. I mean, I think I okay. can make it from from FIU to UCF in a three-inch change. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think to go, you know, 35 or so days without a home game, it just seems unfair. Like, you look at Old Dominion's schedule – Wake Forest, Hampton, FIU, Middle Tennessee. That's the first month. All of those games are home. If if FBS schedules is right. So Old Dominion, that can't be right. But let's say it is because let, let's say Hampton, FIU, and Middle, right? That's three straight home games. That just seems right. a little unfair to me to say that, okay – you know, we're going to have one Conference USA team with back-to-back home games in the first month, but we're going to have another that doesn't that plays at home on September 5th and then doesn't come back to RSS until October 10th. So, David, I'm going to get into just kind of, you know, my quick, you know, key points and key dates for the FIU schedule. But I want to ask you this once again as a fan. My biggest concern, I think if you're an FIU fan, is this. Let's assume that Jacksonville State is a win, right? Old Dominion 
you can't just chalk that up as a win. That was a tough game last year, and they are going to be improved. Lawrence Garner and Keon Davis, or excuse me, Keon White. If I say Keon Davis one more time, I'm going to get called out by, by Old Dominion fans. Keon White, Keon Davis was a running back for Marshall. But they have two studs on the defensive side of the ball. Worst case scenario, David, you play that home game 9-5, you get the win in Jacksonville State. Then you lose to UCF, you lose to Old Dominion, you lose to Liberty. Can you imagine what the attendance will be five weeks away from RSS and you're a one and three team? No, I mean, I can imagine it because I've seen it. I can see how I've seen the lows of the attendance. But um, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, listen, if you want the attendance there, obviously everyone wants the attendance. We we want to build that fandom, but you got to win these games. You got to win games. Old Dominion, obviously you're, it's not a, no game we should take for granted. Like last year or this past year, I mean, me and you, we predicted 10 wins, you know, like we, I'm, I think I'm done predicting, uh, predict, predicting <laughs> wins, but you know, he's to, not, no, he's not. Yeah, I know I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but you got, you got to go in and win games, some games that you're not, maybe not supposed to win, but the old dominion game, I mean, obviously it's super far in advance, but we should, like, it should be a win. Obviously it's not a lock, but we, like, if you're a good team, you have to go into schools like this and win these games so you're just at this point you're just hoping for wins just to also raise attendance because if if you're saying if worst case scenario we start off one and three the attendance is going to take a hit and it, it just it's just uh, bound to happen by the way old dominion does start off with four home games they don't travel until they go to connecticut october 3rd so <laughs> and then yeah, they go to, there's and some they go to, there's some that, that, yeah, yeah, there, there's some weird schedules in Conference USA this year. But I, I agree with you, David. And that's every team, though. You need to win the games that maybe you're not supposed to win. And I thought FAU did that last year with two games. One of those might sound a little crazy in hindsight. That was Charlotte. Charlotte, you know, they hadn't looked great that first month. Things were kind of set up like this is a game where FAU could struggle. They were banged up that game. James Pierre didn't play. The running backs were still trying to get their footing. The offensive line was still trying to get their footing. And FAU, you know, came out of the gate swinging. They played great. And then the other game was Western, you know, on the road against a Western team that at the time was still tied for first place in the conference. And FAU held Western off and won. So this year, uh, you know, the, the two games, is it two? I mean, I think that Liberty is one of those games that FIU has to go in and maybe surprise people and win. And I think the other is Charlotte. So really quick, just want to give a couple key dates here in terms of FIU schedule. I think the tempo setter is going to be that Jacksonville state game. I, I know you think once again, FCS opponent should be a victory. You know, what was tough? Uh, New Hampshire. (laughs) So uh, that was a tough game for three quarters. So that's one key date at UCF. Once again, you're expecting that to be a loss. This is just a matter of, um, you know, anything can happen, but you don't want to have something where you you got a 65 to 10 type game. Um, Another key date that I think, once again, middle and Charlotte, if you can get both of those, then you're, you you know, you're, you're working with something here. Right. And then another one, as far as the last one that I think is a key date is the UTEP game. And I know, you know, these are the games that you say, hey, these teams aren't any good. That's true. But we saw what happened last year, especially when you lose the amount of seniors, you're losing James Morgan, you're losing Sage Lewis, you're losing Stanley Thomas Oliver. We're talking about all guys who played in all-star games either today or next week in the East-West Shrine game. 
we got to see how this team is going to come together and, and gel. And, you know, hey, eventually, you know, UTEP's got to get better. <laughs> so let's just hope that it's not against FIU. So that's the key thing there as we uh, transition away from the schedule. Final two topics we'll get into. There has been some controversy on social media. Maybe it's not controversy. Maybe, you know, I'm the the objective beat writer and this is just my opinion. And, you know, I don't want to take away from the um, the heart and soul of, you know, FIU Twitter and their fan base. But Jose Borregales, we know that he has chosen to enter the transfer portal along with Devontae Taylor. Devontae ended up at Florida State. Wish him nothing but the best. And uh, really quick, also before we get into FIFA, just a couple coaching changes. Uh, Alan Mogridge has taken his talents to USF as well. So that's another great addition to that USF staff. We should get that in because we haven't talked about that since our last uh, podcast. But Jose Borregales, you know, he is a Miami native. Um, I, you know, I hope this isn't too hot takey on my end, but he, he is Hispanic, if you didn't know. Uh, and I think that it, it maybe that cuts deeper with his uh, believed decision to transfer to the University of Miami, or maybe it's the fact that he did so well against UM, you know, made the throat slash sign, was up there at the postgame press conference, you know, talking about, hey, we want to rep FIU. Maybe uh, that's what cuts deep more than, you know, that element of, of his demographics and the demographics of FIU. But I just want to, you know, leave it open to you guys. Uh, David, you're a resident FIU fan, so. Just your thoughts on FIFA and what we believe tomorrow will be an announcement that he will take his talents as a grad transfer to the University of Miami. Yeah, I've I've heard it's pretty much confirmed that he's going to Miami. And just speaking for the the FIU fans are are let's just say very upset with the decision, um, and they see it as a weak move. And to be honest with you, like I, I listen, I don't like hope like I hope for the best for him. Like I want him to make the league like. He gave four amazing years at FIU. He's, our, I, I'm pretty sure you, Eric can correct me. He's our all-time leading scorer at FIU. Correct. correct. Yeah, but at the same time, it is a weak move to transfer to Miami, and I get it's different from the FIU fan perspective because obviously FIU fans we hate Miami. We just we also just beat Miami. He gave the throat slash sign. He threw the U's down. Miami didn't recruit him out of high school. Uh, we gave him his shot. And so we see it like a lot of fans see it as a betrayal. Like they obviously it's it, from a fan perspective, it's different than a player perspective, but it, it, I see it as a weak move. I think if I'm very, I'm, I strongly believe in the perspective of if you're good enough, you're going to make the league no matter what. And if he's doing this because he thinks that he has a better chance of, you know, making it because he plays playing for UM, I just, I don't believe in that philosophy. Cause I think if, if you're good enough, as Sip said, they'll find you under a rock. And so I just – and if – honestly, I don't think it would have affected fans if he went anywhere else. But the fact that he's choosing UM is just, not going to sit nicely with fans. And I, 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 bet he, I bet he knew that going in. But I, I just see it as, as a weak move. I think he either should have obviously, – obviously I wanted him to stay here, but maybe go somewhere better because obviously we're better than UM. So – Jake, before you go, I just want to give throwing shots at UM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just want to, well, just course. a fact, not even a shot. <laughs> November twenty third proved that it's just a fact, but whatever. Actually, what, what proved that is, is there are two straight losses to end the year that show that, you know, when you're losing a conference USA, I think that's what proved it. Jake, I'm just gonna give my two cents really quick because I don't have, you know, really elongated yep. take on this. 
anyone who's yeah, followed no me on Twitter or, you know, uh, listens to podcasts knows how I feel about transfers. I think you should be able to transfer anywhere you want. I think Jose Borregales has fulfilled his obligations to the Florida National University. He's graduated and he should and can do what's best for him and his family. And I have no issue with it. And once again, I know for those of you listening, we'll say, Eric, you're not a Panther. You just cover the team. I can take that. I can completely take that. But just so you know, if Mackenzie Milton transferred from UCF to USF, right? Because Dylan Gabriel is entrenched as a starter and USF offered him a chance to play. I would have no issue with it. I, I just don't, I, when I have to be consistent when it comes to transfers. I don't have an issue either way. Um, I get everything David's saying, but guess what? He's a 21, 22 year old kid and he's got to do what's best for him and his family. And I have no issue with it. So Jake, uh, it's all yours. Uh, my biggest thing, like David's throat slash, I feel like that, I mean, CBS Sports Network to me is a nationally televised game. So you do that on national TV and then you go there a couple months later. I don't think it's a good look for him. I know his brother is going there. I think his brother is class of 2021. Correct. So his brother will start playing there uh, the season after this coming one. So I get that. And I'm sure that there is already some kind of pre-existing relationship between the coaching staff and the family. There has to be, but I just think it's kind of a bad look, especially after you beat them. Like it's not even, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. It's, Hey, we kicked your ass on national TV and I did the throat slash. Now I'm going to come join you. And look, we don't know why he's going there yet. It could be, because he's going to the league now. He's going as a grad transfer, right? Correct. Yeah. So he so it could be, you know, for some kind of post degree, you know, whatever he wants to get his masters in. We don't know. I just think from the pure football optics of it, and I say this as a Yankee fan who loved it when Johnny Damon went from the Red Sox to the Yankees and he shaved his beard after insulting the Yankees for years and hitting the Grand Slam in game seven, which we don't talk about. Pure optics, it's a bad look for him. I think it is kind of a bad look for FIU, too, from a certain point of view, which is, hey, you beat Miami and you're still losing players there. But best of luck to him. Hopefully uh, he has a good season. I don't think Miami right now is going to have a great 2020, but hopefully he can have some individual success and he'll be playing in the NFL. Him and Greg Joseph. David, yeah. quick question for you. I, I just want to ask you this. Go. You, you know, follow this program as much as anybody and you're involved in, you know, fan chats and things of that nature. I'm going to ask you not to betray the confidence of the people who are in those private chats. But this year, what was the overall theme of Jose Borregales, um before, let's say, the last before the Miami game? What was the overall feeling on Jose Borregales among FIU faithful? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely a roller coaster <laughs> season for him. Cause he, he was off to a bad start and, um, a lot, a lot of people are huge fans of his, but a lot of people were critical of him the way he started. And then obviously the way he ended, everyone was kind of back on the Borgales train. So, um, uh, I don't know if that had an effect and, um, but yeah, it definitely was, definitely was, um, up and down and, and it, the opinions were changing throughout the season. So I don't know if that had any effect on it, but, but yeah, that, that was it. So before we go and wrap this up, that's why I asked this question, Jose Borregales, and you would like to say that he owes them some sort of loyalty <laughs> guys like, 
I mean, Jake, we know how this works, man. Whether it's coaches or players or whatnot, you got to do what's best for you. I know the school hurts. I get that. It's UM. It's a school that, you know, a lot of FIU fans, for reasons that are football related, for many more reasons that are non-football related, it strikes and cuts deep. But my thing is this. Jose Borregala sees Twitter. His mom is very vocal on Twitter. Don't think, and I'm not saying, and I don't want to, I want to make sure this is clear. I've never asked FIFA this after a practice or a game, but don't think he doesn't see the things that are said about him. I don't think he owed FIU any sort of loyalty in that regard. You know, I think the only people he owed loyalty to Bush Davis stood by him firmly throughout the year when he's having his struggles and coach James Volano or Volano um, stood by him as well. So I think those are people he owes his loyalty to. And I know FIU fans, hey, have at it. You know, feel free to light me up by saying he doesn't owe you any loyalty. He wasn't exactly, you know, everyone's favorite Panther uh, six or seven weeks into the year. So I, that's just my my take. And, and before I wrap, David, I want to give you, you know, 60 seconds just to respond to that really quick. No, yeah, I, I don't think that he owes us like loyalty. You know, I I think it's more the fact of the team that he chose is why people are upset. But um, I'll tell you what, though, if, if he is ups- what's getting upset or annoyed with our fans, God, he's got a lot coming. If if he even like, you know, God for say he, he struggles in the first game, the U.M. fans are going to be at his throat. They're even wor- they're like worse than us. So th- th- that I mean, is yeah. true. That, that's that's so, 100% correct. Yeah. So um, once again, you know, I, I hope for, hope for the best. I want him to make the league. But again, I understand why fans are upset because we hate UM. So <laughs> that's what it comes down to. It's the team more than him. Like it's more the fact that he's going to them. So absolutely. So as we go ahead and get ready to wrap here, I want to say thank you for listening. You can find the podcast always at Five Reason Sports on Twitter. Check out the website, fivereasonsports.com. You know, it's plenty of great content there. So we'll be back better than ever in 2020, pumping out content. Please feel free to DM us at the Shula Bull Pod website. Um, give us you know, any ideas you have, you know, just thoughts and feedback on the podcast. All welcome, bad, negative, or indifferent. You know, we appreciate it. Uh, really quick, fellas, Twitter handles. Jake, go. Uh, at Jake Elman 97. David? At Mr. Hondel 321. And of course, you can find me at Eric C. Henry underscore. We are for David, for Jake, and of course, for our buddy Shane. Thanks for listening and join us back next time. We'll have plenty of content throughout the offseason.